Welcome to the Wheel of Sport, brought to you by Melbourne's Turnstile Network. This is the podcast home to the greatest sports stories ever told. My name's Ian McNally and with me is Matt Lavery. Hi, Matt. Hello there. How are you? Ah, very well. Great to be back in the studio. and uh, with the wheel. Yeah, we're always with the wheel. It's great. I know. I know. You're <laughs> always with the wheel. <laughs> you sleep people with like, it's like being on a date with a third wheel. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how you met your wife? Oh, let's not go into that. Uh, <laughs> there was no casino involved. There's no wheels. Sure. What a fair and square. Now, um, <laughs> let's talk a turn already. Let's get this wheel spinning. We're excited all the time. Maybe I should stop being excited. Maybe I should be a bit more subdued. Never change. Never change. One time and then build up. I feel like it's excitement at the start and then where, where's the left to go? And in the topic, this episode is two tribes. Yes. I don't think I've had a two tribes yet. Yeah, well, uh, you sound like it, as though you're talking about like it's a new chocolate bar. <laughs> I haven't had a two tribes yet. Is it not? Oh, I've got to get out. <laughs> get two tribes down here. No, two tribes. Um, I'm, I'm going to do this one because I think um, this is definitely a, a kind of a sport i know very little about brilliant you're and, at your best and, when you're at your most ignorant yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i also think the the people i'm about to talk about i also feel very outside of their world yeah <laughs> so uh, oxford cambridge boat Great. race fantastic Right for those for those who are not familiar with Oxford and Cambridge, two uh, apparently they've got two of these um, polytechnics or something, <laughs> two, two the colleges, a- ancient universities which are, are quite good. I, like I think so. They've got they've re- had some recognition. They've got a reputation, yes. of being quite good. And the people who go to the uh, these universities without kind of being ster- stereotypical. Um, they they like books and things, but they they also like to to, to go on the water and row. Right, not not like they don't like ferries. <laughs> and possibly very few of them have served in the merchant navy, but they do like a boat and they like to row the boat down the river because it's a very genteel thing to do. Of course, it is. Now I am going to go back to the twenty fourth of March, eighteen seventy seven. <laughs> Very difficult to look up this on YouTube, yes. I've got to say. But let, let, let's set, set the scene. 1877, uh, Benjamin Disraeli is Prime Minister. Okay. Uh, Queen Victoria is on the throne. In fact, um, 1st of January that year, she's just been named Empress of India. Wow. The, the British Empire is still in its pomp, still at its height. So it's a long time ago. <laughs> it's a long <laughs> And it feels like a really long time ago. It feels a long time ago. Let's make it feel a little bit more modern and say that uh, it was on March the 15th that year was the first ever test cricket match between Australia and England. So England went to visit Australia and toured Australia for the first time ever in 1877. And that was before Australia was its own state. Before it was federated. Yes. Um, 1st of January, actually, 1901. In the exhibition buildings, it was signed in the first ever parliament in Australia. But less about that because this is sport. (laughs) Stop going on about politics, Matt. (laughs) 
<laughs> the wheel of history. Look, I'll make it, I'll make it feel a little bit more modern again. All right. June the twentieth, the same year, Alexander Graham Bell installed the first world's first ever commercial telephone. In which country? Canada. Who knew? Now, the boat race. <laughs> the boat race. Twenty fourth of March, eighteen seventy seven. It's pretty bad weather. Okay. Right. What but, are we talking? Well, it's blowing a gale. It's wet. It's windy. It's it's, the, it's London as well in 1877. Yep. It's probably a smog. Maybe not out in the countryside. It's Henley on Thames. Very pleasant. But um, also, it was in Henley, not in Putney. Yeah, yeah. So right. uh, so the modern race is actually between Putney and uh, Mortlake. Yeah. But the old race actually started at Henley on Thames, and the first ever one. I mean. 1877 sounds a long time ago. The first ever boat race between Oxford and Cambridge was in 1829. That was before the train was invented. (laughs) So they've been going at this a while, Uh like to this point. So it's not a new thing. No. Uh, that said, 1829, they did the first ever one. The second one wasn't until 1836. So it's probably getting, you know, how get, long it took them to get there and yeah, back again. get their act together with the boat. Um, what is the Oxford-Cambridge boat race? Well, it, they row eight oared rowboats. They have a, a cox who's the only person facing in the right direction. Um, and the cox can be male or female by the rules, yep. but the crew are male, particularly at this time, and they're all students of the said universities. Interestingly, they have a reserve boat team, and they row before the first team row, kind of to wet the crowd's whistle, presumably, right. to get them going yeah. before the main event. Get them excited. And also, give, you know, give the, go for the next generation, maybe for the next year, to see who, who the stars are. Okay. But they've got strange names for the boats. And look, look this up. Cambridge, call their reserve boat, their vessel, Goldie. Right. Which I found a bit strange. It would be better calling it Blondie, because she wrote a song called The Tide Is I. <laughs> <laughs> and then Oxford, their boat, Isis. <laughs> it's different times. Different times. Presumably after the uh the the people involved in the caliphate, but they've probably you know washed over and said it's actually called after the dog in Downton Abbey. Yeah, naturally. So um Isis, brilliant. Goldie, she'll be blondie anyway. No respect for history. So <laughs> Incidentally, the race is just over four miles long, so it's about uh, 6.8 kilometres. It's four miles, 374 yards on the championship course. That's the modern race. It would have been a bit different in 1877, but you're talking morning start, early morning, terrible weather conditions, and the race starts and the teams are kind of struggling to keep in line. The the tide is is going as well, so that's playing havoc a bit oh, with, yeah. the, with the boats and Before so on. Before the uh, the Thames, what's it called? Barrier, the yeah. Thames Barrier, yeah. So um, yeah, it's it's all so over the, the tide show. Would it's have probably been really messy, yeah. Yeah, it's probably not ideal to have the race, but once you've got the crowd there and you've you've got your boats, you may as well, mightn't you? So the race is being led by Cambridge. They're they're ahead and they're in the final straight. Now, Oxford make a late surge they're really going for it and they start making ground up or okay. water up on yeah. cambridge the press are on a steamboat they're Fantastic. all stationed on a steamboat what an image isn't it brilliant oh it's so beautiful yeah i love that they're on the steamboat 
and they're getting very excited uh-huh. because Oxford and particularly the press who from from Oxford are getting really excited because you've got to remember it's very uh, parochial and kind of tribal these two institutions because they really are against each other in terms of public office and when they get into you know newspapers and friendship groups and all yeah. that sort of stuff you know you're talking aristocratic britain this mm. matters and so to see oxford making a go and going to beat cambridge and sure enough both teams they cross the finish line and there's a cheer for oxford oxford have won by clear six six feet and so the press are already writing their copies for to send to London to say Oxford have won the boat race. A late surge, and they've won by six feet. It's not the press who decide the race, though. It's old mate, <laughs> honest John Phelps. Okay. Now, that, that name's not ironic. He's honest John Phelps. He's got a reputation. He is the, uh, the race-finishing judge. And he's not the overriding umpire who's uh, Joseph William Chitty. No, no jokes there. John Phelps was the closest to the finish line. He made the decision on Oxford not winning the race. Now, he decides that even though there was a late surge, it was difficult to see. And the right decision to make in this point was to call it a dead heat. It was a draw. This is the first draw dead heat in the Oxford-Cambridge boat race history. And it still is. Wow. There has never been a dead heat since. And there was never a dead heat before. What was the reaction then when he calls draw? (laughs) A bit strange. Because old Johnny Phelps, his boat that he was stood in. So he's not on a bridge? No. And there's no finishing posts. Seems like they need to look at the rules. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm sure they probably have since. So his boat that he was in, because of the tide, had drifted, ending up behind the cluster of boats which were full of spectators. So he had an obscure view of the finish line, despite being the finish line judge. Not ideal. Not great. Uh, so not being able to confirm Oxford as the winner, he calls it a dead heat. Oxford since have really turned up the bitterness on on this because they feel like they've been cheated out of this win. The press certainly, from their viewpoints, thought that Oxford had won clearly. Some by said by four feet, some said by ten feet, but they thought they'd won. And by the time the press has kind of got back to London and the copies are going out, and since in the years following. The press have a sense that they don't want to be proven wrong. They don't want to be made to look foolish. So they hang John Phelps out to dry. They make fun of him. He starts to become part of music hall jokes. One of the um, stories that comes out is that they said that John Phelps was, um, he was drunk. He'd gone to the pub. And then he'd gone back in the boat and that's why the boat had drifted. They said that he was asleep behind a bush and when he was woken up because someone had told him the race had finished, that he said, oh, it's a dead heat to Oxford by six feet. (laughs) Uh, It became a joke to say that uh, Oxford won, Cambridge two. You know, it's, it's this whole 
a consequence that he has to deal with. And the strange thing is, is that he arguably made the only decision that he could. But was he was he is he a respected judge before before the press assassination? Like, was he considered to be a serious? judge so he had he done it before for example? yeah so his job was uh, a waterman on a thames so he was relatively working class and he was um knew the river really well and amongst the circles of people who worked on the river who knew the river he was very well respected as was his family so it was a, it was a clear choice for him to be the finishing line judge and remember chitty who's the overall umpire he took his word for it mm. as well. So it's clear that he was respected. But it's the bitterness of the two tribes here that is at play and the emotional pull and also the press wanting to get involved. Poor Honest John, he was really made a scapegoat. One of the theories is is that there was a large push in the sport at the time to get this boat race to be... Uh, essentially rid of the working class so you'd only have um gentlemen in the sport okay so uh, you'd essentially uh i think the kind way of saying it is that you're professionalizing the sport uh, and they didn't want any amateurs but presumably everyone's a student there yes so what how does that work i'm I'm not saying that society's fair matt (laughs) but Maybe a rich student is worth more in some people's eyes than a very experienced waterman. But wouldn't they all be rich if you if you go into those universities in 1877? You know, presumably they're not handing out grants to working class kids from council estates. You know, you're only there based on the the aristocracy. So I don't understand how that would how you'd be preventing people from getting in because they probably weren't in in the first place, were they? No, or? so like, but John Phelps was considered less lesser. Oh, just because... He's he, so he's not a competing, just to no, be involved. He's just to be involved. So right. he's part of the administration and of just, the sport and they they wanted to get rid of that. This, right. this event really helped that movement because they they could say that this man was a drunk or he wasn't concentrating, or he was asleep, or he's incompetent. Therefore, it justifies pushing him out and others like him so right. that it doesn't happen again. Um, they There was a sense as well, like there was a quote that said they wanted to get rid of mechanics, artisans, and laborers, which in today's parlance sounds pretty great. <laughs> but in, in fact, then was an insult. <laughs> so and they you know this exclusivity for just a gentleman you know you're talking of a world with gentlemen's clubs where it's high society where it is very exclusive and to have someone of a different appearance or a different accent or a different way of life is very alienating so fascinating that it sort of culminates within this great traditional race mm. and there's a few things that don't kind of add up because the St. John Phelps was drunk at the time. The race finished at 10 to 9 in the morning. I mean, you'd have to be pretty determined. And you- I've been that determined. <laughs> <laughs> Not recently. Not when I'm managing a boat race. Yeah, but John Phelps didn't support Sunderland. Yeah. He didn't have a reason <laughs> to drink before 9am. It, it's a fascinating kind of combative event 
where all this politics has come into play as well. Talking of politics as well, seeing as though you brought it up, to give a bit of an idea of like the power and scale of um, of Oxford and Cambridge and the influence, the UK has had 56 prime ministers of uh, 45 of which have gone to university. How many do you think have been to, of those 45, do you think have Every been single to, one. Every single one except for three. <sighs> Earl Russell, remember, <laughs> used to dress himself in brown paper. That's why they call him Russell. Uh, Neville Chamberlain and Gordon Brown, who went oh, to Edinburgh, Birmingham and Edinburgh. I knew Gordon Brown went to Edinburgh. I'd forgotten. Yeah, he, he was wasn't PM. voted in, was he? Nah. Like, so you you see all, all of a sudden, even Theresa May, who's the current as we speak, <laughs> is the current prime minister. Who knows? Depends on when this goes out, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Three hours. <laughs> oh. You know, they are so influential in terms of society, even today. Yeah. So when you think about, um, you know, poor old Honest John, John Phelps. Incidentally, John Phelps's uh, distant relative went on in 2014 to be the finishing line judge. Right. And he had previously rode in the Olympics for Great Britain and had rode in the Oxford and Cambridge boat race as well. So it's quite... So they let him back in eventually. Yeah, yeah, kind of by default. 100 years later. Yeah, 130 years or something. Right. And you've got Oxford and Cambridge. You know, it's... It's interesting that it's fairly closely matched. Cambridge have won 83 of the boat races and Oxford 80. So, and That's I now. think that might have actually just changed because it was there was one very recently as well. Yeah. So we can add that on whichever way, but it doesn't um, doesn't change things much. So they only broke in um, in the race during the wars. So they they had continuous. Uh, races and they the women started to row in the race as well in uh 1927 which i think is the year that they women actually got the vote yeah so they started to have a women's race uh obviously before the men's race uh and that's still continuing today as well so um it's what's interesting now though is that there is the sense it's a bit of the arms race where they jump out of the boat and you expect them to kind of be interviewed and they're like, oh, yeah, but they're always American, like always massive Americans who yeah. are, who have been brought over. Like yeah, one of it's them, all scholarships, isn't yeah, it, nowadays? And one of the Americans was like, um, he was saying, I want to I wanna kick Cambridge's ass and I want, you know, I'm going to bring a whole team from America to kick their ass. And it just made, put me in mind, I can't even say ass, probably, like in that sense, but it put me in mind of Basil Fawlty when he, when he has an American guest staying in Fawlty Towers. Uh-huh. And he says, it's all bottoms to you people, isn't it? And I, I, as much as I will be critical of the aristocracy and high society, when an American comes over, it's almost like, how dare you? <laughs> Do you, do you have a team? Do you when you're watching the race these days? I actually absolutely don't. And uh, after researching this story, the finishing line judge. That's yep. who I'm going for. You're going for the judge. <laughs> and I hope they're drunk. And I hope they've just got gotten up. Incidentally, one key fact that I, I, I failed to mention. Look, I don't think this influences the story at all. But honest, John Phelps was over seventy years old which is quite old in 1877. Yeah. Because 
there was certain communities where life expectancy was kind of 25, 26 years old in 1877. He was also reportedly blind in one eye. But I just thought we'd sk- skim over that. Uh, <laughs> well, boy. Despite the fact he was obscured by spectators, his boat had gone, <laughs> gone AWOL. He was He's blind in one best. eye. He's doing his best. He poss- possibly could have been had a nail inside him or not. Blame Smilty or whatever his name was. Yeah, Smitty. Uh, Smith- yeah, Chitty. 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 Blame Chitty. It's yeah chitty well joseph william chitty actually he was a very good sportsman cricketer rower i think he ended up becoming a a judge as well um old chitty so blame him not the not the uh waterman from the thames it's not his fault he's he's trying his best isn't he so uh it's amazing that this story has endured and is still talked about today in those oxford cambridge circles it's almost like they they look a lot to the past do <laughs> do oxford claim the win like in their in their bow houses they're kind of like plus that one yeah maybe they just put an asterisk next yeah to it. that's ours by the way yeah i think what's interesting is i read a report from uh, one scholar who said a lot of the stories about uh, John Phelps and that, the character assassination uh, were not actually written from the time. They were very much concocted, you know, a decade or two later, and then they kind of got more as as time went on. So yeah. it became this bone of contention that Oxford could always kind of hold against Cambridge mm-hmm. and the idea that it would be insiders. Now the, the finishing line judge... They take alternate turns. It has to be somebody who's been in the blue boat before, which is the name they give to the either crew. Um, but it has to be a former person uh, who's been in that. And it also has to be alternate years. They have Cambridge one year, Oxford the next year right. to try and, um, you know, balance it out. At least they, they now have a commitment to, uh, you know, equality in the working class uh, getting into sport. So... <laughs> That is two tribes for me. A fascinating. We could actually revisit other controversies that have happened over the years at the Oxford Cambridge boat race. I watched it a few years ago. I remember a lad jumped in front of a boat, and that was quite exciting. A yeah, protester. Yes, yeah, that's that? right. Yeah. Um, let's keep our powder dry because there is also uh, there was also an episode where they clashed oars. I think I, that, that's not innuendo or anything, but they they hit each other's oars whilst in, and there is a ruling that they they have to go through the central part of two bridges on the route, uh, Hammersmith uh, Bridge being one, and they can't get in each other's side unless they're a clear length ahead. Which side they start on, they they basically toss a coin, and that's quite an advantage depending on uh, the conditions of the day. Right, so. There's a lot going on. Do you know what I? Poor, I've, poor John I mean, pe- people knock it, but I've I've been when I used to live in London, watched it on TV, watched it live. It's a it's a good laugh. It's it's not serious sport to me. It is to them, but it, it's a bit of a day out. You know, you see two boats go past. Yeah, I think that's what they say in Oxford, holding on to this story for over a hundred years. It's just a bit of a laugh. <laughs> I'm still bitter about it but yeah I reckon it it is a bit of we all hold on to our bitterness and sporty and you know that as well as I do I think we've uh we've mentioned before I think uh the 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 working class British comedian Frank Skinner uh said Wimbledon was like a theme park for posh people the boat race is definitely that 
as is the Henley regatta and all of those things. Um, so you should still go along. It should be fun. It is. Yeah. It's it a good is. laugh, I'm telling you. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a different culture. Um, and, uh, yeah, apologies uh, for any uh, Oxford or Cambridge uh, listeners, uh, if you think I've done you a disservice. Uh, maybe uh, send some money to the Wheel of Sport or just let us stay in your house when you, when you come. And, uh, yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, as long as you're not there. <laughs> Such a class hero. Uh, yeah, yeah. Working class hero. <laughs> Yeah, I'm having a go at Oxford being bitter whilst being very <laughs> bitter say, about yeah. who's the bitter one <laughs> yeah. about the lack of social mobility in uh, in the UK in 1877 in 1877 and 2019 uh, <laughs> thanks so much for listening to the Wheel of Politics uh, <laughs> and um, please rate us on iTunes wherever you, platform you get the podcast share it with your friends as well if you enjoy the podcast that would really help word of mouth definitely helps please get your friends device and download the Wheel of Sport and we'll see you next time for the greatest sports stories ever told thank you very much bye bye